0: Thanks, yeah. Okay, Brother Howard, come on. Howard Katz, he's pastoring church up in, um, let's see where is that pay? Oh, Canada, just north of us. He's always on top, right? <laughs> Thank you, brother.
1: Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.
0: So Bill and Tammy surely do not have a warm and fuzzy ministry, and you can tell that by Bill's haircut. Actually, we've known each other for 18 years now. I met you in Romania. Also, anybody who wants the notes afterwards, you can get them either online or you can get a hard copy. So you don't have to take all these notes. So let's just uh, pray for a second. Father, we just ask, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to continue to lead us. We thank you for the things you've shared already this morning, Father. We thank you, Father, and we pray now for your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts And move in our lives to move in this church to move in this city to move in this world father and so father we pray now that your Holy Spirit would give us the word that you have for each one of us that I need to hear father that we each need to hear father for your spirit gives your word life and that's what we need and we thank you father we thank you Lord Jesus amen well this morning I'd like to speak about hardness of heart and respect the memory Hardness of heart in respect to the memory. There are different types of hardness of heart. And each one must be dealt with in the appropriate way to result in freedom. In other words, if we don't, respond to the, we don't deal with the right hardness of heart in the right way, we won't get the right results. Many times people have used hardness of heart to mean exclusively bitterness. But Jesus used the term hardness of heart to mean much more than that. So when we think of hardness of heart we go well there's a person really you uh, that guy's got a hard heart. But Jesus talks about hardness of heart in a whole array of ways. Hardness of heart is the inability results in the inability of our hearts to sense or perceive things. Hardness of heart results in becoming insensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, just as we have five physical senses to perceive the world around us, we have five soul senses to perceive the internal condition of our souls and five spirit senses to perceive God. I don't know how many people have heard this before. I'm just going to just review it like for one minute. Like for instance, uh, we have a physical sense in the body of hearing. The soul sense is conscience. It's the way we hear our own condition of our heart. It doesn't mean your conscience is always right. And the spirit sense is faith. It says faith comes by hearing. It says if somebody has a weak conscience, it's because his faith is weak. So we see the interrelationship. The second sense is sight. The soul sense is imagination. It's the way our soul pictures things. And the spirit sense is hope. And hope is being able to see what God is going to do. The body sense, the third one is touch. In the soul, that's affection. That's philio. That's friendship love. And in the spirit, that's agape love. And in the body, we have the sense of smell. And that relates to memory. And that relates to the spirit sense of the fear of God. When we remember God's greatness, then all of a sudden it it brings forth that reverential fear of God. And the last one is taste. And in the Hebrew, the word taste is ta'am. And it means to discern, to, to taste and see the Lord is good. And that deals with reason in our soul and deals with revelation knowledge in our spirit. So that's just sort of an overview. So one is world conscious, our bodies Self-conscious with their souls and and God-conscious with their spirits. Now, the Greek word in Mark used for a hardness is porosis, and it means to cover with a callus. It means to cover with a callus. So when we say that somebody's got a hard heart, it doesn't mean his heart's turned to rock. It means that a callus is formed. And a callus makes the underlying area of the skin insensitive to touch. In other words, it's something that blocks us from receiving something or sensing something. And so, there are five times that I noticed that hardness of heart is recorded in the Gospel of Mark. Five times. And it appears that each one deals with one of these soul senses. So, if you want to study it sometimes, there's five times that hardness of heart is mentioned in the Gospel of Mark. And I noticed that they each seem to relate to one of these five soul senses. But today, we're going to look at how hardness of heart affects memory. You ever thought of memory? Somebody's got a hardened heart in the area of memory. Well, Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 13. Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 13. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, Twelve. And also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? To understand what Jesus is really saying to his disciples, we must understand the context of this scripture. First of all, in Mark chapter 8 verses 1 to 8, Jesus feeds the 4,000 with seven loaves of bread and there are seven large baskets of fragments that are gathered up. Previously, in Mark 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and 12 baskets of fragments of bread are gathered up. And so we see that they experience these two miracles of feeding the multitude. And after that, it says after he fed the multitude, it says in Mark eight thirteen, and he left them and getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. The disciples had just recently experienced a wonderful event with Jesus, and now God was taking them on a journey to a new place. This is a typical pattern we see both in Scripture and our own personal walk with Jesus. Isn't that true? You experience something with God, and then all of a sudden God says, Now I'm taking you to a new place. I've let you experience something, and I want you to take that experience and do something with it. So I'm going to take you to a new place you haven't been before. Verse 14, Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. They had forgotten to take bread they had fed the 4000 they had all these all this extra bread they had gathered up but somehow they had forgotten to take it with them you know they had all these baskets full of bread but they forgotten to take with them now in the boat and verse 15 it says and then he charged them saying take heed beware of the leaven of the pharisees and the leaven of herod Jesus is trying to convey a very important warning to his disciples. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. You know, it's interesting that what was the warning? Well, what does bread speak about? Well, in the word of, it speaks about the word of God, doesn't it? It can speak about the word of God. And what is leaven? Leaven is something that caused something to spoil. And so what is the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod? And I was meditating on this. You know, Herod, the word Herod possibly comes from the Greek word meaning hero. Hero. And what did Herod, Herod do? Herod built onto the temple in Jerusalem. He built on and on and on. And you would finally the temple became known as Herod's temple in other words it's where someone takes what god is doing and they start doing their own thing and the next thing it is it's no longer god's work it's now their work they want to be the hero So beware of the leaven of the ferris of herod why because what were the disciples remember one time jesus was trying to tell them that he was going to die for their sins and be raised from the dead and what do they say afterwards who's going to be greatest in other words, there was that leaven of Herod there. They wanted to be the greatest. They wanted to be the one close to God. They wanted to have the great ministry. Beware of the leaven of Herod. And what's the leaven of the Pharisees? Well, they also wanted to be popular. They also wanted to have a ministry. But they did it live differently. What they did is they took all the laws and they made all these rules. Now, you know an important thing about the rules for them? was two things at least that I see. The first thing is, since they made the rules, everybody had to come up to them to know how to follow follow the rules. Right? So they had to come to the Pharisees. Oh, what does this mean? And and how do we keep the Sabbath? And how do we wash our hands? And how do we... In other words, they were the center of of wisdom. They were the the center of, of knowledge. The second thing is... Since they made the rules, they could live by them because they said they weren't worried about what was inside the heart. So they had the long prayer shawls and they'd walk along. And people would whoa, is he holy? So how do you know? Because that's what they're supposed to do. Because that was their rules. So they were trying to gain, get man's glory. And so Jesus was saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of Herod. You know, pride is something that is like leaven, isn't it? It just bloats us up. You know, when I was a a young Christian, I could become proud in like half a second. But now that I've been a believer like 36 years, it takes me four or five seconds. Right? It's true, isn't it? But God provides help to keep me humble. But we need to beware of the leaven of of the Pharisees and of Herod, because those things will take what God is putting in you and what God wants to do, and it'll spoil you and destroy you with pride and with self-seeking. And so verse 16, and they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have no bread. Jesus warns them about the doctrine of the Pharisees, but because they had forgotten to take bread, they thought he was talking about food. You know, they said, oh, wow, you know, we forgot to bring sandwiches. And, and Jesus said, don't touch that bread. It's spoiled. He said, well, we better not take any sandwiches from the Pharisees or Herod's people. Now, you go. what is that? Right. Because there was a hardness of heart. They couldn't hear how many times in our lives we cannot hear God. We know God speaking, but we don't know what he's saying. It's because there's some area of hardness of heart. But today we're looking at it in terms of memory. In verse 17, but Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? We clearly see the disciples' inability to understand what Jesus was saying was due to a hardness of heart. But it wasn't like, they were you know, it wasn't like, oh, they're all gravelly. They're just in a boat and, wow, you know, things are really fun. And, and Jesus is trying to talk to them and, and they can't understand. He says, your hearts are still hardened. But they didn't look. If you saw them, you wouldn't think that had hardened hearts. You know, they're on the boat with Jesus. They just said help feed the, the multitude. I mean, they're following Jesus. And Jesus, is your heart still hardened? I just wanted to check where I was. Okay, good. <laughs> Every once in a while, I just walk away. and forget. Oh, I got notes here. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 18, having eyes do you not see, having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? Do you not remember? Do you not remember? The thing that was stopping the disciples from understanding what Jesus was saying is what they, is that they did not remember. What was the thing that they had forgotten which would have helped the disciples to understand what Jesus was saying? There was something important that would help them to remember so then they could understand what Jesus was saying. Verse 19 and 20. And when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said 12. And also when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said seven. And Jesus took them back Two times that he had fed the multitude with bread, and the latter one had just occurred very recently, possibly even that day. And what was his question? How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? How many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? Jesus didn't ask them how many people were fed or how much food they had at first, but how much was left over. You know, if I was going to impress somebody, i go... Remember when we fed the multitude, how many people did we feed? They go, well, 5,000 plus women and children. They go, whoa. Or remember that other place when we fed the multitude, how many did we feed? Well, that was 4,000. Wow. Or you'd ask, you know, how much did we start off with? Well, only five small loaves. It was amazing. But he didn't ask them, do you remember how many did we start off with? And he didn't ask them, do you remember how many who fed? He asked them, do you remember how much was gathered afterwards? Isn't that an interesting question? What is the significance of the fragments? Each of the four Gospels record the feeding of the 5,000. And the Gospel of Matthew and Mark also record the feeding of the 4,000. On each occasion, it is recorded that they gathered together the fragments of bread. So of all those times that it's spoken about, each one brings forth that how much was gathered. So in other words, there's something very important about the fragments. In the feeding of the 5,000, there can be seen at least 12 principles which illustrates how God deals with us. The last principle that can be seen is in in John 6.12. So the last principle of the feeding of the 5,000 of these 12 is found in John 6.12. And so they were filled, and he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. He said, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. This represents the principle of thoroughness. The principle of thoroughness. So when they were filled... So when they were filled, many times, once God has met our need, we think that this is the end of the experience. However, he wants to receive something much deeper than just having our immediate need met. So when they were filled, this is how we'd say it. So when they were filled, they all lied in the ground and rubbed their bellies and went to sleep. But, but that's not it. But when they were filled, the experience was not yet over. The experience was not yet over. The principle of thoroughness is being able to capture those fragments and collect them so they can sustain us in the future. God wants to take us from being temporally minded to being eternally minded. A carnal Christian is only seeking to have his or her immediate needs met. Do you realize that? Like, oh, God, help me in this situation. Just get me out of this, or please heal me, or please... And as soon as it's done, they go, oh, that's great, and they just keep going. They, they don't gather the fragments. I remember uh, a friend of mine one time, he, he used to go to Lutheran church, but now he comes to our church. But when he was... Um, one time he met a, a guy from the Lutheran church... When he was still going to Lutheran church and he had he and he saw him going to church every Sunday. He, he, this guy only came like twice a year normally, but now he's coming every Sunday. So he went up to him and said, How come you're coming to church every Sunday? He said, Well, about a month ago I went I went hunting and uh a bear showed up and started chasing me. And as this bear is chasing me, he said, God, if you will save me from this bear, I will go to church every Sunday. So he said, That's why I'm going to church every Sunday. Well, this lasted for about six weeks, and then he stopped seeing him again. So one day, about a few months later, he sees him downtown, and he says to him, I, he says, I haven't seen you lately in church. He goes, well, I got busy. And so my friend looks at him and says, you know, next time that bear's going to run a little bit faster. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is... <laughs> But what happened is he forgot the experience. He forgot the experience. It lost its impact on him. He was happy to be saved initially from the bear. But later on, it was like it wasn't a big deal anymore. He didn't gather the fragments. John 6, 26 says this. Jesus answered and said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now, that's very interesting. He says, you sought me not because of the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Now, what does it mean? He said, you, you didn't seek me because of the signs. What's a sign? You know, there's three terms we see over and over again in Scripture. Signs, wonders, and miracles. Signs, wonders, and miracles. So, a miracle is, is the power of God being released. A wonder is the awe that it produces within us. But a sign is something indicative of the one producing the miracle. Okay? So when we see signs and wonders and miracles, a miracle is the power, the dunamis of God. That's what it is. The dynamite of God, the dunamis of God being released. The wonder is the awe produced within our heart. But the sign is indicative of the person or the one producing the miracle. For instance, in Canada, we have the symbol of the maple leaf, right? Do you have a Canada here? No. What's going on? <laughs> At least you have Israel, but I mean, they don't have Canada too. But anyways, so... In, in a symbol of Canada is the maple leaf, but a maple leaf is not a sign. You know why? Because a maple leaf is not something that is unique to Canada. It grows in a lot of countries. So a symbol is something that is, not, is, is something that symbolizes it, but a sign is something that is unique. And so he says, you did not seek me because of the sign. In other words, you did not seek me because you wanted to know something about who I am, about a revelation of who I am. You wanted to because you had sandwiches. That's why you sought me. But a sign is something that reveals God. And so we see, like in instance, Mark 16, what are the signs that will follow the believers? They will speak in new tongues. They will cast out demons. These are something that are unique to God alone. This is unique to God alone and to no one else. That's a sign. And he said, but you did not seek me because you wanted to know me. You sought me because your needs, your temporal needs were being met. So back to John 6:12. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Once God has met our immediate needs, we must go beyond that experience and be thorough and seek the eternal and spiritual purpose of that experience. Gather up the fragments. The Greek word for gather up means to gather together, to collect and put in a safe place, to convert property or goods into money, to turn into cash. That's what the Greek word gather up means. And in fact, in the parable of the prodigal son, we see in Luke chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, and the younger said to his father, Father, give me my portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them up to his his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all, Together and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living what it mean? He gathered all you know the father says well, this is your portion So he gave him the sheep and the goats and the cows and maybe the furniture, whatever this is your portion This is your portion of the land. And so what did he do when he gathered up? He actually went and sold it and turned to the cash That's what he did. He took it all he gathered together and he sold it and turned it to cash right he wasn't walking around with 50 goats Right? He so says, "Well, I'd like to go and buy that here. How many goats do you want?" Right? He, he took all that possessions, turned it to cash. That's what it means. And so when it, so, when it says, "Gather the fragments, take the fragments, and make it into something," you know, when it says "gathered up," the Greek word means. To collect and place in a safe place. So when we we use the Greek word to gather together, it always refers to something of value. To gather and put in a safe place where you can find it. So we are to take every experience we have had with God. And collect it together so it becomes meaningful for the future and reserved for the future needs and growth. In other words, when God does something, take it, cash it in, and then reserve it and know where you placed it. You know, I don't know about you guys, but you know how men are, we keep buying the same tools. You know why? Because we can't figure where we put the last ones. But when you say that gather and put it in a safe place where, you know, you get it. In other words, God has done it. If you're born again, if you have received Christ done, God has done many things in your life. But when you don't gather it up and put it in a safe place, when you're running into trouble, you don't know where to take that reserve and cash it in. So you have something in that moment of need. The fragments may have appearance appeared insignificant when left scattered, but once they were gathered together, they provided many baskets full of bread. The fragments represented the beauty of what God has, had done for, for them, which could, would carry them, uh, which they could carry with them, while the actual bread they ate only provided for their immediate need. In other words, the fragments, when you gathered up, is something that was for the future. The bread was for today, but the fragments were for tomorrow, for the future. So when we take our experience with God and turn it into cash and place it in, then all of a sudden we have that for future confidence in God. You know when we don't gather it up we lose our confidence God You know, it doesn't matter how many times we experience God's grace experience God's answer to prayer But if we're not collecting the fragments, we are then impoverished to be able to deal with what's ahead of us Gather the fragments that remain the Greek word for that remain is means to cover, to be over, above, to abound, to provide in excess, overabundantly, have greater advantage. So the word remain doesn't mean the leftovers of garbage. It means it's the overabundance of what God has done. It is the overabundance of what God has done. The bread they ate provided their immediate need, but the fragments of the bread, when collected together, represented the overflow of the grace and power of God. You know, sometimes in our lives, God will provide, let's say a financial need, will provide specifically to the penny what we need. That is God's signature saying, I'm the one who's provided it. But when God comes and provides way over with what we needed, that is God's superabundance. So we see here that when we see the that remain, it's saying, that was representing the overabundance of God's grace, the overflow of God's grace for them. So that nothing is lost. The Greek word lost means ruined, destroyed, unaware of the location, disappeared. In other words, that nothing will be lost. Nothing will be destroyed. Nothing will be misplaced. Nothing will have disappeared. You're going along, you. You know, when, you, you know what the first love is, right? When we first, I remember when I first received the Lord, I smiled for three days straight. Literally, I could not stop smiling, right? It was like I was so happy. I mean, wow, Jesus, real God. I mean, being Jewish, I didn't even know you could get saved, right? Like, I like, got, wow, I was so excited. But over time, you kind of lose that, right? You kind of, and, and you kind of misplace it. It's like being, it's like kind of going along and wanting to say, Howard, uh, where's your joy? My joy? Yeah, yeah, you don't have your joy. I mean, I lost my joy. What, what, I don't know what happened to my joy. Hey, somebody took my joy. I mean, what, what, where did my joy go? I can't find my joy anymore. Because what happens, we take the fragments and we don't gather them together and we misplace them. And we lose the ability and lose the impact of those experiences. If we, do not, if we are not careful to take every experience we have with God and gather it together in our hearts, we will lose the effect that it is to have upon us. In other words, we need to be able to take every experience and gather it together so that it impacts us not only for the day, but continually for our lives. The power and the delight of that experience will be lost and we will not even know where to find it. In other words, someone says, remember the time you were healed? Oh, yeah, I remember that. But but we've lost the impact of it. We've lost the impact of it. John 6.13 says, Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. The bread was for today's needs, but the fragments are the superabundant overflow for our future needs. The bread was for a day, but the fragments are for a lifetime. See, we think of the bread. Well, that was a great miracle. But the the impact was the fragments, not the bread. The fragments are a tangible reminder of God's faithfulness. The fragments are a tangible reminder of God's faithfulness. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way. And when you lie down. And when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This passage in Deuteronomy is a beautiful picture of gathering the fragments that nothing be lost. When you, when you get up, when you sit down, when you walk, when you talk, you shall write them on the doorpost. You know, one of the, 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 the key feasts um, in the Bible for the Jews is the Passover. And what's the purpose of the Passover? The purpose of the Passover, one of the main reasons is that they were to remember how they were delivered from Egypt. And and so they were to get together and they were to sit down and say we were once slaves and they were to tell the whole story of how God delivered them from Egypt. That was the purpose of the Passover. There's other purposes, but that was one of the main purposes that the fathers would tell the children and the children would tell their children and their children. And they would do this yearly, yearly, yearly. But the problem is they lost the impact of that. Also, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness even, for 40 years, every time they came to a crisis, they go, we're going to die now. So, well, wait a second here. What about all the miracles that God has done? What about all the signs and wonders and how he delivered you from Egypt? And what about the last time he answered your prayer? But it's like they never gathered the fragments. All they did was wipe their mouths. Well, that was good. And then they went on. And the next Christ, it goes, we're done now. Now, I know none of you ever get like that. But I do. I'm not teaching this from the point of view of someone who's arrived. I'm teaching from the point of view of someone who's going that direction. If we allow our thoughts to constantly wander, it produces scattering instead of gathering. If we allow our thoughts to constantly wander, it produces scattering instead of gathering. The disciples had a hard heart that was calloused in the area of memory. Their hearts were calloused in the area of memory. A few short hours before, they had been filled with delight as Jesus fed 4,000. With seven loaves of bread. But now the impact of that miracle totally eluded them. When we don't gather the fragments, we see things only from the natural point of view and never spiritually discerned. The thought was, we're facing a food shortage. And because of that, they couldn't really comprehend what Jesus was really trying to teach them or warn them. So how did the disciples' hearts become hardened in the area of memory? The disciples were so busy ministering and feeding the people and maybe even elated to how they had been used by God that they forgot to remember the things that were the most important, even to the point of forgetting the seven large baskets of fragments they had just gathered. Preoccupation, busyness, and wrong priorities will distract us from those things that God wants us to store in our memories. You know, one of the easiest ways to get a Christian to backslide? Not like getting involved in drugs or getting drunk. It's just keeping them busy. Just keep them busy. That's one of the easiest ways to backslide somebody, right? You know, they're on fire for the Lord, but then, oh, they got, they got work to do, and they got a hobby, and they got this, and they got that, and, and before they know it, it's like they're bachelors and they don't even know it. I like when I gave the sermon the first time, somebody said, you know, the busy, you know, what it stands for being under Satan's yoke, being under Satan's yoke. You know, when uh, the remember the. The picture of the uh, of the parable of, of uh, the seed and the, the seed that was on the thorny ground, what was the thing that choked out his fruitfulness? The cares of life. Just all the business of life. Here's a picture of, or an example of it in Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. But Martha was distracted with much serving Jesus was trying to impart something that was very essential to both Martha and Mary. But Martha was so busy serving Jesus that she was not in a position to receive. Jesus came to her house and said, I have something that you're going to receive. But if you don't receive it now, you're going to miss out. So there's Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And there's Martha making sure, you know, okay, let's make sure we got some more of this and that. And, you know, and, and let's get the dishes cleaned up. And, well, you know, she's doing all that. But but there's Jesus is explaining to Mary and Mary's sitting there listening. Now, Mary, Martha was serving Jesus, but she was distracted by serving and wasn't receiving what something that she would be able to take with her for the rest of her life. You know, sometimes we get so busy that God wants to impart something every morning. We need to say, OK, Lord, what do you want to say to me this morning? Just to spend that time with the Lord. You know, I realized something that, um, you know, it takes, you know, there's a lot of things we can waste. But, you know, wasting normally takes a lot of energy. Like, you know, I said, well, how about if you waste $10,000? Well, if you're going to waste $10,000, you have to get in your car and you have to drive to some stores and you have to buy stuff and you put it in the car and drive it home and go to another store. I mean, it's a lot of work to waste money, right? It's not. It takes effort to waste money. But I recognize something. It doesn't take any effort to waste time. Do you know something? You know what you have to do to waste time? Nothing. Isn't that amazing? To waste anything else requires effort. To waste time, you just do nothing. What are you doing? Just wasting time. You know what I mean? It's amazing. Like, by doing nothing, we're wasting time. Isn't that true? Wasting anything else normally requires energy and, and, and effort. And so the Lord says that we need to be watchful, redeem the time for the days are evil. We're wasting so much time. You know, as I'm getting older, I'm recognizing how time is short. Like there's a lot more time I've spent than I've got left. You know, that's, don't say amen, that's true. But I mean, it's, <laughs> I'm not too happy about it, but it's true. <laughs> I'd like to say there's a lot more time in front of me, but, but reality is it's not. And so as I'm getting older, I say, God, I need to use my time wisely. It's not just about, well, where can I even preach at a church? or something. No, no. God, what do you want me to do? Sometimes it's not ministering to others, it's sometimes just ministering unto the Lord. See, Martha was really happy that Jesus came to her home, but her response was the wrong response. See, it says, what Mary's received will not be taken away from her. She gathered the fragments. But Martha lost the opportunity to gather those fragments. All Martha would remember, well, I remember the day Jesus came over and we we served uh, meatballs and we had some pizza, Jewish pizza, of course. And, uh, you know, I mean, But, but the thing is that she won't know anything that God said, what Christ said to her, because she was distracted. Now, I'm going to say this. Even prayer can become a distraction from the very thing that God desires to impart to us. The most important thing we can do is learn to enjoy the presence of God and sit at his feet and listen to what he is saying, even as Mary did. Thanksgiving, worship and adoration are what will enable us to gather the fragments. So what do I mean by prayer can become a distraction? Well, the thing is, we can be so busy praying for needs and people. We're not enjoying the Lord. I'm not saying that praying for needs is not important. It is. But if we are not spending time enjoying God, and what do we... The first element for myself, and it was when I pray, is worship and thanksgiving because I'm gathering the fragments. Right? I'm gathering the fragments. If you start to go... You know, if if your prayer life is, oh, I need this and help this person and bless this person and this, that, and that, and that, and that. You do that for a while. So how was your prayer life? Well, it was pretty tiring. You know, I remember I heard Jack Hayford speak one time, and he gave this testimony. One morning... He'd get up every morning, he'd set his alarm for 6 a.m. And every morning, the alarm went off, and he'd get out of bed to pray. And that one morning, the alarm went off. He pulled back the covers, put his feet to the floor. He was about to step step off the bed. And the Lord spoke to him and said, it's been a long time. As soon as the Lord said that to him, it's been a long time, he immediately knew what God was saying. Because he said, well, but, you know, he's, he's been praying Like, like, I mean, having a a consistency in prayer. But his prayer life had become routine. He had lost that excitement of spending time with God. Lost that excitement of looking forward and just worshiping Him and thinking about Him and, and praising Him. So prayer is very important. But prayer, where we gather the fragments, where there's worship and praise and thanksgiving. And then we go before Him with the needs afterwards. What was the warning that Jesus was trying to tell his disciples that they were not able to hear because of the hardness of their hearts. Mark chapter 8, verses 10 to 12. Immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. See, no matter how many miracles this Pharisees saw, it had no lasting impact upon them, but they always sought another supernatural sign. We are to gather all the overflow of God's faithfulness in our lives so that we will walk in complete trust and rest in the leading of the Lord. See, what was the problem is that no matter how many times miracles they did, they said, show us a sign. But, you know, when we're not gathering in fragrance, we're the same way. We're the same way, you know, and... and When I get discouraged, when I become fearful, it's because I become hardened in the area of memory. I forgot all the wonderful things God has done. And so the Lord wants us to constantly be gathering. Because if we don't learn to gather, it doesn't matter if God does a miracle every day in our lives. It doesn't matter. It will not have a lasting impact on us. But when we start to gather them together, then any time God does something miraculous or wonderful, we gather together, then our fragments become larger and larger and larger and larger. When our memories are filled with God's faithfulness, then we will abide in God-conscious faith, and the delight of the reverential fear of the Lord will be our constant companion. See, when we, our memories are filled with God, we, then we have that reverential fear of God. Wow, God is real. God, you are real. You are real. See, meditation deals with memory as much as it does with reason. As we daily meditate upon the goodness of God and the faithful acts of God in our lives, we are gathering the fragments. We are to be attentive to every circumstance so we can gather all the daily fragments of God's overflowing, abundant grace. You know, uh, the, a clean animal had a few traits. One was it chewed its cud and it had split hooves. Right? And, and of course, I believe God was speaking to us about some spiritual principles. And, you know, there's three words that I see. One is knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. So, if you take it in terms of an animal eating, knowledge is like hum, hum, hum. You're eating. Okay? Now... Understanding is like meditation. You know what an animal does? A, a clean animal will take the food, swallow it, and then regurgitate it later and chew it again and swallow it again and bring it up again, chew it, and, and, and keeps doing this. And a cow chews its cut for about eight hours a day, which equal, equals to about 30,000 chews a day. So understanding is, so the thing is, when, when God shows us something in His Word, or we experience something, and we're not gathering the fragments, we're like unclean animals, we're not chewing the cud. We're not chewing the cud. So, but what's wisdom like? Wisdom is like the split hooves, it's a separated walk. It's where once we understand something, now we apply it. So, you know, so God wasn't talking about pigs being unhealthy to eat. Some people think that pigs are unhealthy to eat. The only thing that's unhealthy about pigs is it's for the pig itself. When we have, (laughs) but but the thing is, what God really was. By the way, I don't like bacon, but I mean, you know, I think I see a ham. You know, I I see when I see pork chops, I think it's a cow that's anemic. But anyways. But the thing is that what God is saying to us, don't be like unclean animals. We're unclean when we're not chewing the gut, when we're not continually remembering what God has done. We're not continually gathering the fragments. We can't move on. And then once we do, then we need to take that and we need to then apply it to have a separated walk, a walk of holiness. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. What's communion? And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup in the New Testament, in, my, in the New Covenant, in my blood. This do you as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Communion helps us gather the fragments. The, one of the purposes of communion is to stop everything and say, wow, Jesus died for me. Jesus resurrected I have a few points on ways of gathering the fragments. I mean, I still need to grow in this more. I mean, I make a conscious effort to do this daily, but it's not enough yet. But I'm growing in it. And the more I grow in it, then the greater I have strength. And it's like Bill and Tammy, um, I've seen how God has used them over the, the last 18 years and what God has done. And to me, it's an encouragement of God's faithfulness. When I think, wow, I just look at it. Mean, because I know it's not that, that they, in themselves, have some super ability. It's like they've just gone out. But I've seen God, God's faithfulness year after year. I mean, it's just amazing. So, ways of gathering the fragments. I didn't put this on the overhead. Just some points came to me this morning. First of all, remember specific things God has done for us in the past. And then give thanks for them. In other words, a lot of times when we start to pray, this is a good way to do it. Instead of just starting to pray, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Actually, thank, think about some specific things. Maybe God gave a specific answer to prayer. You know, I mean, you could go on for ages, right? So we just take a few and say, just give thanks. Focus on one or two or three things. Like, that was just amazing, Lord, that you did that. could have been ten years ago. It could have been yesterday. But just focus on it. And so every time you pray, picture certain things and just give thanks for the specific things. And as you do, you're gathering the fragments of that experience. As you're doing that, you're gathering experience. So in other words, we're praising God. Some people say, well, it's it's kind of boring to pray. Well, you know why? Because they're not gathering the fragments. But you go, wow, Lord, thank you. I remember the day the Lord baptized me in the Holy Spirit. I mean, that was such an amazing experience. I mean, that was like, wow. That was like an amazing. So I go back to that and go, wow, thank you, Lord. And I begin to relive that. I begin to think about it again. I begin to pray in tongues and worship Him. And as I do, I'm gathering up the fragments of that experience. And so I go through. So number one, take specific experiences and begin to worship and praise God and gather up and relive that experience. Relive what God has done. Relive it. And it will start to come alive again. It will give you confidence again. And here's something you won't have enough time in the day to give thanks for all the experiences you've had. So that's number one. Number two that came to me. Tell your testimony to fellow believers. Share your stories over and over again. You know, I love to share my stories. You know why? Because I think, wow, that's amazing. Sometimes when you start telling a story, yeah, I, I forgot about that. It's so, not that I forgot about the experience, but I forgot about the impact of that experience. So share. You know what I mean? I, 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 even when people tell me stories that they've already t- told me before, when I hear it again, I go, wow, that, just, that impacts me. It impacts them. And I love to hear what God has done. Thirdly, tell your testimony to unbelievers. Tell people about God's faithfulness. You know, I like, the way I like to witness is I like to pretend that they already believe. So if you try to make it sound like you're trying to convince them, it's kind of an antagonistic role. I pretend they already believe about God and it's normal that God answers prayer. So I talk to them as if it's totally normal, right? And, and so I just start to share with them about the faithfulness of God. And, and that does something for me and, and hopefully for them too. Number four, don't take for granted the things God is doing daily, but train ourselves. We need to train ourselves to be keenly aware of everything God is doing for us. You know, our health, food, the simple things. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, speaking in tongues is really miraculous, isn't it? I love speaking in tongues. I mean, I just love speaking. It's just amazing. Out of my mouth comes all these words. My wife says that's not unusual. But anyways, um, <laughs> but I mean in different languages, Right. I've spoken in Ethiopian before in Amharic. I've spoken in I, I was language. where I remember praying for one guy going to Ethiopia, and I was praying in his Ethiopian language, and I was praying for his trip in Ethiopian. You know, and I go, wow, isn't that amazing? See, so, you know, I did. I wrote that down because that's my last point. The last point is write down when God does things write it down write it down well i'm not a writer i don't care write it down because you know what did Paul, what did god say in deuteronomy write these things down write them down because there's something about when you actually said if it's if it's worthwhile that god from heaven could do a miracle can't you sit down for five minutes and write it down <laughs> you know so <laughs> i like yelling at people but anyways but, but take it and write it down. And as you write it down, you're reliving it. You're reliving it. And then you just do reread it once in a while. I've got like 250 pages of stuff that typed out that God has spoken and done. And so I just reread it. You know, some of them discouraged. By the time I start reading it, you know, get through 50 pages. I can't remember what I was discouraged about. You know, just keep reading it. Just, You know what I mean? But reread it. Write it down when God does it. and Keep a spiritual diary and then read it from time to time. I'm not saying these are all the ways, but these are a few thoughts that have come to me on how we can gather the fragments. This is a challenge for myself, too. You know, but I want to I want to finish the race. Well, I really appreciate what Bill and Tammy have said in you know, the things they shared. and It was really tremendous because they want to finish the race. Well, right. They want to finish the race. Well, and I want to do the same. And I'm in the same boat as you. I'm nobody special. You know, only difference between you and me is I yell at you and you listen. But, I mean, besides that, (laughs) we're all in the same, right? And I need to to gather the fragments because there's times I get discouraged. There's times I become fearful. There's times I become weary. But I have a choice. The choice is do I allow that to overwhelm me or do I start to gather the fragments? You know what I do sometimes when I feel, oh, I'm so overwhelmed, so discouraged? What I do is I'll pick up the phone. Or get some fellowship, and and I'll just say, I'll just phone up some friends, let's pray together. Let's talk about the Lord. You know what I mean? I'm saying, hey, I need some help. Um, I don't seem to be able to gather some fragments right now, so I need you to help me to gather some fragments up. And as I do, then I start to gather more and more of those fragments, and my faith rises again. Remember, when it says gather the fragments together, that's not the trash. To gather together the fragments are things that are very valuable. Gather it together. Let's pray. Actually, just a couple points of prayer. Because I always like to give points of prayer. First of all, thanksgiving for those areas in our lives where we recognize God's goodness. And are becoming more conscious of His faithfulness to us. In other words, I don't want you always saying, well, yeah, we just have needs. We can be thankful. Thank the Lord saying, Lord, there are areas where I've gathered the fragments. There's areas that I am encouraged in. Well, thank God for that. Say, yes, Lord, thank you that there are areas that I have learned to gather the fragments. Where I've learned to stay encouraged. Where I've learned to hold on to your faithfulness. So we can thank God for that. But also, prayer for those areas in our lives where we still easily are distracted and our priorities are not balanced. And we end up wasting time doing things, other things that are not necessary, and not having the time we need to enjoy God's presence. So let's be thankful for the things that we are doing. Thank God for that. But also, say, Lord, I want to be more fruitful. I want to be more attentive to you. Father, I just thank you so much for your faithfulness, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I thank you that we all are frail vessels, but by your grace we can do great things. And I thank you for the many miracles that you've done in my life, in the lives of my brothers and sisters in Christ, dear Lord. It is so amazing. It is so amazing, Lord, the things you've done in our lives. Lord, you've spoken prophetic words. And that I've watched as you fulfill them, Lord. Forgive me, Father, for not gathering all the fragments. Forgive me, Father, for allowing times of discouragement to come into my heart. Times of fear, Lord. But I thank you also for the many times now that I'm growing and holding on to those fragments. Those times that, that I'm able to be encouraged in you, Lord. Encouraged in because of the things you've done for me and for the people around me, Lord. I thank you for the word of God. So we can know truth. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit that reveals your truth to us, Father. Thank you so much for the innumerable miracles. I pray for each one of us, Father, that we would begin to discipline our lives in the area of thoroughness, Lord. That we'd gather the fragments. That our memories would no longer be hardened by distractions. But we'd be conscious, constantly remembering the faithfulness of our Lord. Thank you, Father. Bless each one of us. Bless this congregation, Father that this church would grow and that many souls would come to Christ and this city would be one to Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.